Welcome back, everyone, to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Scott of VectorSigma.info. And Scott, we're going a little bit off the beaten path today. It feels a little weird. I guess. Well, it's a little... we haven't talked about it before. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why it's off the beaten path. Typically, we're always focusing on... And we'll, I'm sure it'll come up. We're always focusing on the strategic element of the gameplay itself and deck building and everything surrounding those topics. But the difference today is we're going to be talking about strategic elements within the, the, the game surrounding the game somewhat. And it's going to sound like we're talking about the general meta, but it's, it's more on the economic line. So, uh, but before we get there, there are a couple, we'll call them big ticket, high level news items that are actually coming up in the very near future. And by the time this hits your ears, if you're not listening to it live, maybe right on the doorstep. Uh, so the first one that we wanted to talk about was, well, the championship for the pro play tour is coming up very, very quickly. Uh, that's going to be at the end of this month, January. And, uh, it's an exciting event. I know you're going to it, Scott. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to attend. I'm going to tr- do my best to make it to some local events that are being held on the same day or same, <clears throat> excuse me, same weekend. But uh, we're definitely going to have a Vector Sigma presence down there. Yeah, Dan and I are going. There's a lot of patrons going. Um, obviously, we have members of the team that are part of the PPG family as well so um there will definitely be a representation absolutely but uh are are you more excited about going to to disney world scott or the the tournament itself no we're actually gonna go to, <laughs> Univer- we're gonna go to universal one day we're not hitting disney itself so. okay yeah that uh <laughs> having done that relatively recently it uh it could certainly drain your energy for a given event i'll i'll put it that way in a good way i guess but um leading into it any in uh, preliminary thoughts about the event, Scott, anything that you want to share with the masses before the event itself comes upon us? No, um, by the time you, if you're not listening live, by the time you hear this recorded, um, there's an opportunity out there to hear an interview with George Machado, who is running, uh, who's the owner of PPG. Um, so you can, there's a lot of information that's there. Um, I guess the most important thing is it, it, there's a, there's an interesting line between uh, like uh, secondary run events or primary run events, and I would I would look at the, at the PBG tour more in the latter, where there's a lot of Watsy um, interaction and and, and uh, partnership with PBG mm-hmm. on these events. Um, so, from that aspect, I mean, I, I'm. I'm very hopeful that we'll get information soon about future events. So, I, I mean, I, I think that this represents a great opportunity on a monthly basis to have high-level Transformers events. Yes, uh, for sure. So, yeah, so <laughs> I, I think it's important to to treat each one of them as, as such. Um, as like a larger local, uh, depending on where the stops are, but definitely for the championship-level event that occurs every year um, to... Uh, as, a, as a much larger event from there. And I think that, you know, keep in mind, there's only three relatively small events leading up to this. So if right. we give all of 2020 the same runway that we've had with other things. I think it'll be a much bigger uh, event next year, both from a price perspective and from an attendance perspective. But I am, I am expecting like, well, for the Sunday event, even though 
technically going into it, there's probably only like, I don't know, like let's just say 40 to 45 reg, um, qualified players due to right. the in-store kits and the official events. Um, but there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of last chance qualifiers on site. And pretty much as soon as they get eight people, they'll sign up. It's not like it has to be on every hour on the hour. Um, so I anticipate there being a lot of people that qualify over the first couple days of the event, which is great. Uh, win a box eight mans that, that are going on. Mm-hmm. So to be honest with you, um, there should be a lot of opportunities for anyone to qualify for Sunday. And then I anticipate I'm, uh, I'm, Assuming there's going to be like 65 to 70 players total, which would put it at right in line with some of the larger Gen Con, Gen Con on-site qualifiers. Yes. Yeah. Um, which at this point were the second largest events that occurred, um, which is, you know, pretty decent. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, as you said, going forward through the rest of 2020, there's going to be a lot more momentum building up because... As you said, there's there were only really three events leading into this, so in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of short notice, quote unquote. But as since we're going to be, you know, it's now a thing, we're going to build up that momentum throughout the year. And I'm in agreement with you that I expect that there's going to be a, a significant turnout. I think it's going to be a lot of very strong players, and I think that it's going to be a great way, whenever the schedule officially releases for this year, for people to continue to either get their feet wet or stay in shape, so to speak, as they're looking at the other major events by continuing to play in events with other high-caliber players. Yeah, that's all that really matters to me. I mean, you have to understand that, like, some of the scheduling of some of these things takes time. They need to... um, Absolutely. Analyze how things went. I mean, we're trying to uh, speak to Wizards relatively soon about some ideas and speak to PBG as well in order to try to bring some of this um, back to the store level as well. Right. Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to. I <clears throat> Excuse me. I feel really bad that I was unable to just schedule it this quickly, but I'm going to be making every effort to try and get out to some of these other ones because it, it, this is the, we've said it a lot before, but the fun part of the game for us is competing and competing against strong opponents playing in these larger level events that, you know, if that's not your thing, that that's fine. You could come and hang out. You could always spectate. I, I'm sure there will be a stream. Uh, but for us as competitive players, this is what we get all excited about. Yep. So uh, any other thoughts on PPG before we move on and segue into the other upcoming major event? Uh, no, most of the information is in that interview so make, that Dan had with George. So make sure you take a listen to that if you haven't already. Awesome. So uh the other major event that's on the horizon is actually PAX South. So we did get some official information as to what we can expect to be going on there. There is going to be an open. There are going to be some uncut sheets that are going to be there, uh, as well as Energon editions up for grabs as prizes. It uh, It's good to see that it is coming back to the other PAX events. Not that we were ever really expecting that there wouldn't be a Transformers TCG presence there. Uh there are some challenges with it, obviously, the the schedule, we all would love to have had this way in advance, but we've talked about that on other shows, that sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles. Yeah, especially at the beginning of the year, it seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's there's a bunch of contractual things or, or other logistics that come into play, and it's just, it's the way it is. But for anybody that is able to attend, 
there is Transformers TCG to play with some awesome stuff on the line. Now, it correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, there's been no indication that this has any bearing on the 2020 Energon Invitational, correct? You don't qualify through it, no. Right. As far as I understand now. <clears throat> That's what I had also, I was going to say saw, but I guess I didn't see <laughs> there was no information indicating that uh, we still are waiting on details from that from the Wizards team. But this is only the second time that you're going to have the opportunity to win uncut sheets. I'm actually kind of curious now that I'm saying it out loud, what sets those are going to be. It's the third time. Technically, they gave some away in Europe as well. Oh, they did give them. You're right. You're right. Yep. I forgot about that. So, But still, very, very few chances to obtain something like that. It is really cool. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a cool collector's prize. Uh, if you ever were to frame it, like I still have yet to do, it, it's <laughs> a collector's item. Yeah, it's something that uh, it, I always hear about. It. it was really awesome seeing it in person when uh, you and John had won them. So, uh, other than that, I don't know. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up specifically about packs before we move into the main topic of tonight, Scott? Well, PAX South is technically a week before the PPG event, so it'll probably have a, a dramatic effect on the metagame there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I find interesting about it is that um, the way that they're doing the qualifier tournaments for the Open on Sunday is different than they've done in the past, but I think it's probably just due to the nature of the prizing or whatever, um, in, in that there's only four... Uh, there's only four qualifiers on, right. I think, Friday and Saturday, and you have to go 4-0. Uh, and it's not... I, I read it over and over again to make sure it wasn't, like... It's at 12 <laughs> match points, and it wasn't just you had to have four wins. It's a, I assume it's only going to be a four-round event. Mm-hmm. I don't know what time they're running, because I'm not going, so I didn't pay too much attention to the time, but I, I, I have to assume you can play in both with a decent break in between, um, if that's the case. Right, uh, but what's interesting to me is that only, only going four zero. It's only going to be a four round event. So no matter how many players show up, like I don't know, what, I don't know exactly what the cutoffs are. But like, let's just say there was, I think it's thirty two or more players. Let's just say technically, according to like the four rules and everything, you'd be running five rounds. But they're only going to run four, which means you're not actually cutting down to like the way that, and just you know the way those rounds work is because. You're trying to get to one person being undefeated. That's not exactly. actually the goal. That's not actually the goal here. It's just correct. You could have like eight to ten people that are still four zero, for example, mm-hmm. um, and all get qualified for Sunday. But I actually believe it's what's probably going to wind up happening is it's going to be probably more difficult to qualify because I mean you you have literally no margin for error. So I oh mean, yeah, um, <laughs> it should be a pretty high powered event. I mean, there's gonna no matter how many people show up, the, the, the difficulty of the event is just going to drive um, the need to be playing something that's like, you know, more flexible and, and, and you know it pretty well because there just really is no margin for error. I mean, I, I know that like, I, I think I lost my first round in one of the, in the, the first qualifier at Gen Con and went undefeated the rest of the way. But like, yeah, that, that I, knocked I, you I, out I, here. I, right. Exactly. So, um, you know, a lot of them are matchup are matchup dependent, so you just have to be careful with that and understand your matchups and things like that because it's going to be, according to everything I can think about the event, it's just going to be uh, more difficult. But but the prizes are more unique. Um, Absolutely, I don't really know how to put. I mean, I, I 
when someone asked, I tried to put a value on the uncut sheet of wave one when, when it was still like only wave one and came up with a pretty hefty number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so depending on what these are, um, and all the ones I've seen given out so far have been wave one, but that doesn't mean that these necessarily will be. So um, they're just a very unique prize. They, can, they carry their own value to them. So like, I don't want to say they're like, you know, invaluable or whatever. Or they're like something ridiculous, but right. there aren't that many of these things out there. So like, it's a pretty unique prize. Yeah. I would imagine most people are going to treat them. I mean, I'm sure somebody is going to cut them up and sell them or try and offload them as a single sheet. But I would imagine many people, I know I would be treating it like a trophy because it is so unique. Unless yeah, first somebody offered like, me something ridiculous. Cause <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> I think first place gets three sheets or something like that too. From what I saw. So. Wow. Okay. I did not it, see that one, but the, that's pretty impressive. Not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a pretty, if I remember correctly, it's a pretty decent sliding scale of what mm. people want. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Like you said, it's it's going, both of these events are going to inform, well, each other as well as the meta moving forward because we do have a decent amount of time between now and when we're going to see Wave 5 or actually have Wave 5 in hand. So there's a lot of information to be gleaned from these particular events. Yeah, because I don't think the meta is as defined as one event anyway, as we talked about. Oh, of course. Um, in the past, so. Well, now's everybody's chance to prove it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or disprove it, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, excuse me. My throat is killing dying me. over there? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to. If I if yeah. I go silent for a while, you'll know why. Uh, <laughs> so, anything else for PAX out before we uh, shift gears, Scott? No, I mean, there's nothing we can really do about in terms of, like, how, quote-unquote, close it is to... Um, to PAX Unplugged and, and the schedule that exists for these conventions. I don't really know where they come up with them, but mm. um, uh, I, I think, I'm hoping that a year from now, like, we can feel confident that even depending on what the time frame of getting this information, we can feel confident that such an event's going to happen. Yeah. I think because of the, I think because of when, when, because of when Orlando is happening, I wouldn't have gone to this regardless, but if it was spread out a little bit, I mean, I like the San Antonio area, so I would have probably um, tried to make my way there, but uh, it's just not in the not in the cards. Yeah, the reality of it is, well, it's reality sometimes. Uh, one thing that I will add to your point is that now that we're seeing this pattern of, yeah, there's a presence at every PAX, there's a presence at, well, we're, we're going to see at every Origins and Gen Con, I assume, that sort of thing, that this cadence, and I know the Wizards team has stated many times that they want these marquee capstone destination events. And to your point, come next year, I mean, obviously it'll depend on, again, real life, but we can, ex- I would think we can go out on a limb and assume that there is going to be something at PAX South. So if it is, you know, if that's your favorite area, then there you go. Maybe you can start planning a trip around it. Yeah, I mean, I, I plan to talk to all parties involved. I try to in certain ways. Like, I guess I just worry about what the effect of it is on a PAX East and a PAX West because there are some PAX logistical is, problems there. <laughs> PAX South and PAX Unplugged are very affordable. Mm-hmm. PAX East and PAX West are kind of the opposite of affordable. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. I, I can agree with that. <laughs> uh, I did remember, but long before Transformers looking into it one time, I'm like, ah, oh, I think it might be cool to go. And I'm like, ooh, 
maybe maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe put put some brakes on that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess with that, we can dive into the main topic for this particular episode. And as I started out with, we're it's strategy, but on a different end of the game, and that is particularly the the economics of the game or the the. I don't want to say game within the game, but it is kind of a, if you look at it like playing WoW, the computer game, and everybody who plays the game strictly for the auction house and the marketplace, it's just, well, these cards have real world value. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't look at it that much that way Mm -hmm. in this yet, but I know some people, I don't know that there's many players that do that now. I kind of just look at it like, trying to understand what your collection is worth, why it's worth what it is and, and mm. how to, how to turn extras into cash or what to expect out of that, of, of doing that, I guess you could say. So to that end, Scott, I mean, the obvious thing is, you know, the rarer cards are worth more. Obviously it's not as simple as that because there are certain rares and even super rares that, you know, you're not ex- exactly excited to open and nobody's reaching to, you know, rip them out of your binder because, oh my God, we need these. So I guess that's a, as good a place as any to start. When you're evaluating cards, whether it's from now, say the middle of, or if we call this the middle of a metagame versus when a new set comes out or when it's the tail end leading into a new set, any pointers or any, or how would you describe that process for what you do? Because I know you personally end up interacting with this end of the game a lot more than I do. Sure. So just for those that don't know, I have like one of one of the largest Transformers only, probably the largest Transformers only stores on TCG Player. So um, not to... This is Hashtag like humble brag. It's not a commercial <laughs> for that, but... Uh, in in six to eight months of doing cards, it's been a it's it's been I, I bought and sold a lot of Transformers cards over the past six months. So um, uh, I have a, a bit of knowledge as to where this lies. A bit. Um, just I think, so people know. I think I've sold um, like three, if that. Yeah. <laughs> so well, yeah. So lead us in, Scott. Uh, there's there's a lot of different things that we could talk about. Like I said, whether it's evaluating how do you find that diamond in the rough, although that does kind of lean into also the strategy element because, of course, the better cards are going to be more valuable. Not um, always, but... Right, but it, that that's where I'm going to kick it over to you. So when you're evaluating, looking for these things, is there a secret you can divulge or, or how do you evaluate these things? So the first thing is it's different. It's been different. It's been different in certain waves. The last two waves have been similar to one another, but the first two... If you if you treat the la- if you treat uh, Siege One and Two as like as the same type of set, there's been three types of sets that have come out. Okay. Um, and actually, there was an issue with Siege Two that made it a little bit more, um, a little bit different than Siege th- Siege One, which I'll, I could talk about. But um, the distribution for Wave One, Wave Two, Siege One, and Siege Two have all been different. Yes. Uh, so, and we will get into this later, but not <laughs> counting. The reissue through Energon Edition, uh, the distribution in Wave One was much, um, s- much more not difficult, but like stingier, I guess you could say. Um, so most rares in Wave One were 
were simply rarer and, and the, the super rares were much rarer than they were um, in all the in, subsequent uh, sets. Yes, and I think all the subsequent sets from a from a super rare perspective were the same. Um, but what that winds up doing and what they went up doing for a long time and has done for a long time was set the market on uh, on the battle cards from wave one as being much higher than uh, the other sets. It is not simply due to um, the power level of them and, and the commonality of them in, in competitive decks, but it's also the pure um, rarity. Also, wave one is a, quote, larger set because... There is no inserted card like there was in Siege One and Siege Two. So, you know the the Battle Masters and the the um, the Micro Masters coming one to a pack means that even though quote like Six Gun and and Brunt are quote rare, they're really not right. Um. So and 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 all those playable cards like will count from a set number perspective and how many cards are in the set, but they're not actually part of like how rare a card is. So in wave one, there were simply just more battle cards, more rares, more characters, etc. And because you had a, a harder rare distribution and definitely a harder super rare distribution, people are just opening more packs. Um, so, and, and so even though there is a decent amount of supply for a while, there wasn't because of, you know, it's selling out and it doing so well that the, the battle card prices on wave one, went way up uh like we saw certain rares get over i think the highest they ever went is like 22 24 that sounds about right yeah and they're back down now for other reasons that we'll get into later but in general um the wave one rares have held the most value from a battle card perspective so the real the real key is the, the there's a difference between character rarities and battle card rarities and one does affect the other, um, and it's it's simply a matter of once you have a character, unless you just don't feel like playing it in more than one deck. But I don't; it doesn't really work that way when mm. you're actually playing the game. Um, so an individual character may cost more than an individual battle card, but the price of three battle cards will typically be more than the price of one. It's definitely one rare character. One super rare might be a different story, right? Um, and that's just the way it works out. So in the first couple waves, that that pretty much held true. Um, the the rarity on the characters and the price of those cards will be affected basically by how many how much product is actually opened. And the interesting thing about Siege One and Siege Two is the reason why the rares from a battle card perspective are so low is because they're so there's just less of them in the set again because of the insert situation. Mm. Um, but what winds up happening is you can buy a when you buy boxes of Siege One and Siege Two. Um, so when you buy like a case, for example, you usually got like two to three super rares uh, in the case. But the problem is you you have five, six, seven of each battle card rare, and definitely and almost always rare characters in multiples correct so at that point the only reason to buy more boxes as a player not as a secondary dealer is to try to fish for the super rares that you still need and that's doesn't happen very often yeah that, that didn't happen in the first two sets i was gonna say that <laughs> trying to fish for a given rare via just cracking packs often is a losing proposition right so if you think about wave one for example you could get a play set of battle cards by buying a case pretty easily 
but a lot of decks, you know, I have, you know, security checkpoints and Peace or Tyrannies and, and, and Matrixes, the staple cards that are worth the most money in multiple decks, and I don't feel like switching from one to another. So it's perfectly acceptable to have, like, six to nine of certain rares um, as a player. Like, that's pretty typical. Like, at least six, I would say. Pretty typical to have right. multiple play sets of a battle card. No problem. Well, in Wave 1, you had to buy a lot of boxes in order to, you know, without buying singles in the secondary market, in order to make that happen or trade for them, etc. Right. Um, equal value. Like, you had to buy a lot of boxes to make that happen. And it wouldn't necessarily work out where, like, you were not, you know, obviously if you were getting doubles of the rare characters, super rare characters, sorry. But, like, it wasn't, you weren't, you didn't have a mountain of battle cards that you needed compared to, or I'm sorry, a mountain of characters you needed compared to a mountain of battle cards sitting on your on your desk. Yeah. It was kind of even in that way. Like, you were opening one to try to get the other. But now, but once the distribution changed, and especially in Siege 1 and Siege 2, you were opening boxes to try to get characters, especially super rare characters, and then you were winding up with oodles of, of rare characters and battle cards rares in in multiples (laughs) so what winds up happening in that situation is you basically have like the one percenters for example like super rare prices are through the roof because there's no reason to open the boxes except to try to get those super rares Mm -hmm. so like as an established player again like you might buy a case of every set you won't get a complete set you will not get all four super rares you will get everything else so now like i said the question is what am i going to do with all this extra stuff so if you know, like if I buy a second case like and I don't get the guys I need now I suddenly am swimming in in rare battle cards and in rare characters. Absolutely, yeah. If I don't have an outlet in order to trade them away to another player for the ones they got, or if I got a duplicate of a super rare and swap it for somebody else's super rare, like you're literally just swimming in this stuff. So like, what are you supposed to do with it? So at that point, the super rare prices just go way up because people don't want to do that. When so you say that, you're saying buy more sealed products. So it, it kind of artificially regulates, or not artificially, but it kind of self-regulates there? Yes. Like, players don't want to own that much, that many duplicates. So to some extent, it's actually depressing the sold product, to some extent, if I'm hearing you correctly. Not necessarily, but it's... To any one individual player, yes, because they eventually are just like, I don't need any more of this. Right. Yeah, so in I the grand scheme, like somebody, a store or, or a dealer is buying that, but the individual player is then picking it up via singles or trading, is what you're saying. Right. So every other card, like the, the rare prices go down. But like the, the, the price per card on a rare basis, again, playability will come into, come into play, but... Mm-hmm. The prices on the rare battle cards are depressed. The prices on the rare characters are depressed. But the prices on the super rare characters are inflated. And I don't mean inflated to like a, they're over market. It's just that the amount of them out there, the supply of them out there is just so much less because people aren't opening as many boxes. And the only way to get them is by opening boxes. But if, if your whole mm-hmm. goal is, is to just get them, the chances of getting them, I mean, first of all, the chance of getting Again, I look at things from a case perspective. If there's two to three super rares per case, it's not fixed as to which ones you're going to get outside of distribution issues that happen with Siege 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, like, you're not even guaranteed to get the ones you, you need. You're going to hit a wall as to, like, do I really need this much more product? Again, 
you know, a secondary dealer, et cetera. Right. So it, it just, it, so it just becomes, what am I going to do with all this extra stuff? I'm not going to buy any more product. I just can't, I have, I have everything I need. I'll just buy those singles that I need, but everybody's in that same boat. Everybody wasn't in that same boat for wave one because I want more battle cards. The character prices, therefore, stay in line with the battle card prices. It hasn't been that way mm-hmm. uh, from then on out. Sounds if logical to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it. And over time, there are other components to it. I think as well as, by definition, the fifth wave is not going to be as large of a percentage increase in the card pool as previous sets. So how many cards are suddenly going to make that big splash that are going to be immediately tournament staples? How many of like quantity wise, how many from a displacement perspective of, okay, it's not just that there were 20 top tier cards in wave five. It's, there were 20 that also beat out previous things and didn't create new archetypes themselves. So it, it like if there was a better grenade launcher, not that that's going to happen, but just as an example sort of thing. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, um, again, it's going to depend on, it, it always is going to depend on if they change the distribution, if there's an insert type card that, that, mm. that is not, that affects the number of cards in the set. And if they keep this, if they keep the same number of, you know, super rares, which they have for the last three sets at four, and those are very good, like they are in Siege 2, they're going to become extremely high priced because, again, there just isn't as much of that being opened. And, like, you know, if I got eight of a battle card rare in my case and I didn't get the super rare I needed, it's just more efficient to go out there instead of having 16 of it. Right. Just go buy that single. And, and, and if, if a large majority of the population is in that same, uh, you know, same is in that same boat. Basically, you just have a supply and demand issue when it comes to the super rares. Absolutely. So, speaking of supply and demand, we recently got the Energon edition in people's hands. How, how do you feel something like that? Did it really mess with the metrics that you've seen? The numbers for the Wave One stuff that we already established was a little bit of an. I don't want to say isolated event, but it definitely behaved differently from a market perspective than the subsequent sets. Or is it just their their own entity because they are quote unquote promos or special versions? Well, the special and promos and 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 the special character cards and the foils are their own entity. So they have their own price depending on like whether people just feel like picking them up or not. And mm-hmm. they actually haven't sold all that well because I because I think people that wanted an Energon edition to get everything just they just bought, bought the Energon, Energon edition. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, I don't know how many people are just looking for the foil living weapon. You know what I mean? Right. Like they're probably getting all of them. You're right. It, exactly. Like it's like you know if you wanted just the foil battle cards, I've seen some people just pick up a playset of the foil battle cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you it looks enticing to want to, oh, well, if I go on or somewhere else and I, I, I price out all the cards individually, I'm going to get the two. seems worth it. Yeah, but there aren't many people picking up those characters. So they have to decrease in value as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the major effect that Energon has had is, is, so at first, so like pretty much the entire month of December, um, it's picked up recently, which I can, I'll get back into, but um, mm-hmm. 
the the fact that each one of them came with a box of wave one right simply put more wave one battle cards and characters out into the market um so you have you have two effects first of all all the characters that were in that were reprinted in the energon edition in the specials um the special printing and the plastic cards they've all gone down in value significantly the actual wave one versions you're talking about yeah so um like the biggest one to go i mean obviously cliff jumper and slipstream like took massive well those yeah those ones i think will also get their own category just by virtue of their own rarity right um but pretty much and i I think this was intentional and i'm i'm fine with it obviously um that you know if you wanted if you needed those cards before you were willing to pay whatever 150 to 175 dollars each but now you know you're not you're not hung, you're not going out there and saying i have to have the sdcc version of this card mm-hmm. you're fine with the playability perspective of just having one yeah, of the energy if the one, it's so. function over form in this case I guess. right right so they've they've gone down significantly like they were going for easily like you know close to 150 dollars they're close to the market price is close to 100 but they don't really sell at those prices um so all the SDCC cards have come down. I know that the auto attacks and tandems are in the mail now. I haven't got mine yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those haven't been affected yet. Um, but there aren't that many of those battle cards out there in the it, world as it is. It so. also, I mean, this is a totally separate topic, but there, there are rumors of concerns about the physical cards themselves that may influence that or do you think that's not going to have any impact um, as far as like the the identifiability of the cards it is a concern but i don't think i, I this isn't the type of game where i feel like that matters that much to be honest with you mm-hmm. um i enter obviously there is an there is that nature to them i understand that but at the same time like they're not that playable to begin with. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, their prices were inflated as it was. Right, right. Because of, compared to their playability, it was literally just a rarity thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it'll matter all that much. Um, I don't think, they will have to, the original versions will have to go down. Of course. Um, but, I didn't rush out and sell every single one that I had. Right. Uh, on purpose, assuming that these versions would depress them. Um, but I, you know, they continued to sell even after it was announced. So at not extremely depressed prices, just because they had been available yet. Yeah. Phys- physically in people's hands. Makes um, sense. The, but the biggest thing is like all those characters, all six of those characters went down in price tremendously. They're, they're normal versions. So like Nemesis is pretty much cut in half. Uh, almost. Um, I mean, to be, f- other ones, to be yeah. fair, most of them, most, is that, accurate i think most of them weren't really they they weren't as popular as they were for a while anyway kind of thing so maybe it was a long time coming i mean they weren't as powerful as they used to be obviously right that's my point is that because they weren't crushing it at top tables it maybe they they were gonna they were doomed to this end anyway whether it happened like this or not not this not this rapidly when you when you simply could spend 200 hours to get all of them guaranteed mm. um 
the prices of the year. Like people, people didn't have them before. It's still cheaper to get the original versions of them if you don't want to spend the two hundred dollars all at once. Of course, but the but the prices have have. But you got to come in under the cost of well, I could just spend two hundred dollars and get everything, right? So, um, so and besides that, the other big thing is each each energy transition comes with a box of box of boosters. Yep. So there's a good there's a good percentage chance that those six cards are going into the market again. Exactly. So so for those specific characters, it's a double whammy. Um, I don't necessarily see those six characters. Um, recovering from this uh from a price perspective um i guess i should say those four characters because slipstream and, and cliff jumper obviously aren't in the boosters right um but but definitely the price on like battlefield legend and nemesis being the two most playable um are pretty were pretty much slashed in half mm-hmm. uh from energon edition and then the other two weren't really playable to begin with with um legendary beast saw some play but his price has been steadily dropping for a long time so right it wasn't the biggest deal in the world there was only so much lower he could go as a super rare from a simple collectability standpoint because the thing you have to mm. understand about this game is that there's a lot of collectors as well that don't actually play the game well that's a, so, a good segue into mm-hmm. how do you feel collectors necessarily impact things versus um other players in the market whether it's literally players people who may lean towards more just being a dealer how did how do you feel th- these parties interplay with each other or does it really matter i mean obviously it matters but just setting the stage (laughs) so i think i mean myself as a as a as a dealer i i don't run into a lot of collectors because the platform that i sell on just doesn't probably isn't visited by a lot of them compared to other platforms right so i think most collectors probably stick to ebay or or uh, or other sites that would, if you just Google Transformers DCG, you could probably find easier. I don't know. Um, I'm assuming TCG player comes up, but it's not. May not be their first re- realization as to where to look. Right, right. I mean, you know, there might be other Transformers sites selling them. And things. I'm not sure. Right. Um, so I don't, collectors drive the price of supply and demand out there in the world, but they don't really affect me personally as much, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But in this game, I do think they, they do drive the market a lot because, especially on the character side. Oh, it, that's what I would expect, yeah. Yeah, definitely more on the character side. And it, I mean, I, what I can tell you is what, where, where collectors drive value is in the common and uncommon characters, especially in things like combiner teams. Like, that's a good point. Thing, things like fire cons or things like popular characters that are not necessarily, don't necessarily have tournament shops right or like the card yeah the cards aren't very good but the character themselves is very popular so like your alpha trions your star screams your your things like that i think are being driven by by um i mean that's probably collectors it's probably a good argument for living weapon having some of the price tags that he did in the past yeah his price tag is not very high anymore i can tell you well but that that was the discussion (laughs) yeah we did cover that part um yeah well, aside from collectors, one of the other parties that I brought up was the players. So the obvious thing that would tie into what we usually talk about is the tournament scene. And clearly, playability influences these things. I mean, yes, there are collectors. There are other non-game-related reasons that are going to inflate or deflate cards' value. But obviously, the other end of it is 
you know, if, if you start seeing these certain battle cards, these certain characters show up in every top eight list, it's presumably going to gin up some interest. So do you feel that as we've gone through now almost a full year or probably three quarters of a year, what, what, we already did the recap episode. I'm not going to do the months in my head uh, of tournament play. Did you see different fluctuations based on, oh, well, this did well at, at Origin, so two weeks later, the price spiked. Or this did well at Gen Con, so two weeks later, this went up or this went down. Certainly. Uh, nothing affects nothing <laughs> affects prices more than tournament results. I mean, that's um, logically what I would expect in a card game, but <laughs> go <yeah>. ahead. <laughs> um, especially on the battle card side, that's mm-hmm. certainly... Because, because on a battle card perspective, like, you can have disparate character lineups and have the same battle cards, and that happens very often. Right. Uh, especially for the stable ones, but it also what it what the other major effect that it does is turn other cards into stable, right? Um, from that perspective, the biggest effect on singles prices, whether it's characters or, um, but especially on the battle card side, is sustained, um, sustained finishing. It's no flash in the pans. Flash in the pans finishes at certain events will basically do a temporary boost in price and some people will speculate on oh this was in a deck that did really well i'm, I'm speculating and i'm gonna buy you out whatever you that deck doesn't do well the next time at all or doesn't have sustained viability throughout the season like it was during the eiq season the card will not the cards will go back down in price because nothing like you can't buy out cards like you can in magic so um it doesn't right. really work that way uh, because the game is so new, and you have so many players coming in and out all, and, and at any time, that like the the actual supply of some of the stuff is much higher than what it actually appears at any one point in time. Like right. for example, I I never list my entire inventory at once, so chances are like I'm not sold out of something even if it looks like I was. Right. Um, I could just be waiting for it to go back up or something like that. So, um, that's another factor. I think we. You kind of mentioned before, but there's a lot of people mm. trying to get in and out of this from a seller perspective all at once. And I, what, I, I'm trying not. The, the one thing I would recommend to anyone thinking about doing it, is you have to have a tremendous inventory in order to keep up. Because otherwise, you're just gonna be left with a pile of unsellable stuff, and it's not worth it in the end. Just, just as it's some general advice. Are you saying that, 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 like way? many other things, it's you got to put in the effort. <laughs> You have to maintain the effort is more of the issue. You can put it in at mm. one time, but like you won't be able to make, you won't be able to sustain it. But I can get it that later. Well, um, I mean, it, was there anything else you wanted to touch upon for the tournament results? How they because you had said that sustainability versus the flash in the pan type cards. Is there an example of something that you could throw out there that you know spiked and then dropped off the face of the earth, sort of thing? Um, I can give I can, I'll give examples for both. Um, sure. So the ones that spike and stay up there are all your tournament stable. So your piece of tyrannies, your your security checkpoints, your matrixes. So the top cards out of wave one are those plus Energon Axe plus the bigger they are um, plus Rollout. Those are those are the biggest cards from wave one, for example. And you see you see those cards over and over again uh, show up in tournament lists. Well, maybe not so Rollout, but yes. Well, it's still in some. It's still in some. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah. I mean, it does show up. It's just not as prevalent as the others. Right. Um. But anytime it is in a tournament deck, like it was in the Jetfire deck, mm-hmm. um, the top eight Energon edition, it takes another spike because again, remember the wave one battle cards are always going to be worth more because there's just 
lots of them out there when you buy set when you buy right um buy boxes um so those always try to those always go up and down in value some of them are huge spike like for example matrix is almost double its value that it was um pre um energy invitational because you have a full play set in jetfire decks you have a full play set in galaxy prime decks um you even have them showing up in other decks now because of how good it is right um so that's an example of a card that you know has gone up in value even though it's been out for a long time so all your tournament staples um like marksmanship is way up yeah uh, i've heard a, a lot of people talk about that over the since yeah energon invitational really a lot of a lot of battle cards are, are that again like i said for playtesting purposes, you want to have more than one playset. Right, I was going to call back to that because it the characters are going to end up in a top loader, and like you said, how often are you really going to need two? Unless you're playing like testing mirrors, and for some reason the other person right. isn't prepared. But the right. battle cards, it's very much oh, we have a bunch of people together, we're going to test here. You play this deck, and I'll play this other one. Oh, I I'm out of peace through tyrannies. I'm out of security checkpoints. I'm out of whatever. Uh, there's value in having those additional things. And I guess like many things, like people that play video games, you play an RPG and they give you an item and you hoard it the entire game and never actually use it. Maybe that's what people are doing with some of these. Right. Yeah. It's, it takes time to switch cards from one deck to another and it's annoying. Especially yes. using different sleeves and things like that. So a yes. lot of players <laughs> I know at minimum just own six of each. Um, absolutely. At, at, at absolute minimum. Yeah, it just logically makes sense. So to, yeah. give something from the, the other end of the spectrum, because you named a number of cards that have either started out or eventually got to a certain level and have sustained through. Is there an obvious one that jumps to mind of it was there and it's gone? Uh, heat of Battle had gone to like $3 that's a, now. Back to a, like 50 cents. And it's funny, everybody out there is probably like, wow, $3, who cares? But for something like that, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, again, you have to understand that the rare battle cards in Siege 1 and Siege 2, there are just more of them out there through the way the distribution was in the set. So mm -hmm. the only battle card from either of those sets that even got to any pr higher price was Laser Cutlass, which at one point was in double digits, and now it's plummeted in value, even though it actually did see play in the top 8 of the Energy Edition, but um, mm -hmm. there were just too many of them out there compared to its demand. So well, like you said, the distribution has definitely influenced that because of people trying to acquire other things or, you know, a number of factors. Yeah, but Siege 1 was, from a singles perspective, just not a good set. So I think what actually happened for a while is people were like, I'm not buying any of this from a box's perspective. I'm just going to buy what I need. And that, you know, oh, well, at least there's one rare that's you know, $12 or whatever it was. So, right. like, I only have to spend not much to get everything I need out of the set because I don't need rare fire cons and rare <laughs> yeah. needle nose and rare alita one yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> some there of the cards that just don't see play so. so you definitely had that on your list of things that that point mm. you just brought up about the the value of certain sets now to you it was probably obvious going into siege one once we had the full spoiler and just your experience with card games and and doing the side of card games that or was it so obvious to you that it, this is the way it would have played out? Or is this something that is obvious only in hindsight? The, the one percenter effect of the super rares was not as obvious. 
that they would maintain such a high value mm-hmm. when they when they see tournament play. Now, again, what you have to understand about Siege One is that only one of those super since the banning of multi mission gear mm-hmm. actually um, sees sustained tournament play, and so its value is leaps and bounds above the other super rares. Well, and what that's yeah, and what that's done is depress the value of the rest of the set because everyone's only looking for, literally only looking for that card. Um, so there's only one rare character in the set that's really worth anything, and that's General Optimus. Right. Um, and, and then from a battle card perspective, like I said, you had Laser Cutlass for a while, but a lot of the, now at this point, it's still the highest, but it's only like like 450 or something like that. It's actually energy pack that's come way up in value. Has gone from like a 50 cent rare to like almost like a 3 or $4 rare. I mean, that one also logically makes sense given the metagame we saw at the Energon Invitational as well as just the card pool at this stage. Yeah, and its uniqueness compared to, compared to what other cards do. Absolutely. Um, so when, you're, when I'm looking at cards up front, the, the easiest thing to assess, and because I have to do a lot of this on day zero when a set comes out, the easiest way to establish a card's value is to look at its comparison to other cards that exist. So if you look at, for example, at like heavy-handed to bigger they are, it was easy to set the price of heavy-handed at the same exact price as bigger they are because mm-hmm. they were so functionally the same. It was easy to set the price of pocket processor at... Databank. Like X, X times Databank because it had green in it, for example, but like right. had a high value because of knowing that you know, what its power level was. Um, it's That's the easiest thing to do, is just compare cards to existing ones that, it, that are out there and then establish the price uh, from there. But actually what happens when a set first comes out um, is pretty much you tier the cards by rarity and every card in that, not by rarity, but like by playability within the rarity. And then every single rare that's like a, like those of you that play like video games, you know, how it's like S tier, A tier, B tier, etc. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where S came from, but my understanding is know. fighting games. But I don't <laughs> actually like. I don't know the history. I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's. Uh, I always see it in fighting games. But anyway, <laughs> continue. I I always see it in gacha games, and I'm always like, "What does S mean?" Like I yeah. know what A B C means. I don't know what S- <laughs> exactly. But, um, so like I we actually tier them uh, like that, and then basically say everything it's an S tier. We start at this price. Everything is in the A tier. We start at this price. And then from there, we literally just let market forces um, affect the prices from there, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we look at other sellers. Some sellers, basically, there's a lot of sellers out there that are just trying to get in and get out. So, like, they depress the market for a certain period of time. Right. But in general, like, we just let the market forces affect the cards and whatever we can get for them. Uh, we we go from there. Some go up, some go down, some change tiers, etc. Like mm. there's some cards I can explain. There's some cards I can't explain. For example, so <laughs> what? Get, before we segue into the next thing, what <laughs> is there one oddball that you you can't get your head around? I can't explain shoulder holsters price in the least. Okay, what is it at? I have no idea. <laughs> Six dollars. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. All right, I got a lot of shoulder holsters I need to throw up on eBay or something. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's like that's an example of when I can't explain it all. I mean, okay, that one I can kind of under. So it's quirky. It does something that, from a a Johnny perspective, it's like, oh, I can do this cool thing. It'll just never happen, <laughs> or realistically, I mean, never happen. Again, you have to remember that from a from a battle card perspective, 
it, it, it's driven by playability. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not so much. <laughs> uh oh, Scott. He dropped out. Uh, where are we at time wise? Sorry, I lost you. Yeah, it's all right. You were, the last thing I heard from you was about saying that battle cards are driven by playability. And I said, well, apparently not. And then bang, you were gone. You were that upset right, over that, it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the uniqueness about this is that you would think that, like, like I'm trying to, like, I guess you would you would assume that Pocket Processor is the, the highest price rate from a battle card perspective in the set because it's probably the one that sees the most universal play out of anything. I mean, I could see that, yeah. But it's not right now. Uh, I don't know what speculation that's going on or anything because I don't really play that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so something's going on to drive the price of Shoulder Holster because it doesn't see... I, I don't think I saw one in the top eight of any event. Well, we're going to so, find out at PAX South and PPG Orlando. Apparently somebody's maybe. got something. Uh, that's... I mean, there, just from playing so many other games, there's always that card. Or that set of cards where it's just inexplicable as to why they're dominating a market, but there's always something like that. Yeah, but I the, the cards that were those, especially in the newest set that I would have thought would have happened with those, would have been daring escape and overwhelming advantage um, because they were they, they play on unique axis where where I mean their prices aren't nothing. Um, right. Again, what you have to remember is like. Prices go down very rapidly. That's the other thing you have to understand is because, again, it's just a supply and demand thing. And remember, the, the super rares in the set drive the value of the set overall. Um, the reason why the Siege 2 prices, from a battle card perspective and from a character perspective, have stayed up there is because you have essentially... I mean, I would argue that all four super rares are playable. Yeah. Certainly more than certainly more than like Rise of the Combiners. Um, yeah, and <laughs> and one of them is a premier card in the environment in Galaxy Prime. Um, one of them is a, a tier two deck star in Octone, and then Octone has its own issues from a distribution perspective because of the boxes that got messed up. Right. Um. So he's like the rarest one out there from a supply demand perspective in the general public. All not any like all those cards have already been bought, but like there's just once you again once you have a character, you don't need it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and then you know Megatron sees play yep. in tier two to, in tier two decks, and then and then a lot of people run still, and he's definitely a sideboard option. And then, like, Sound Blaster is probably the least. But the point is, when you have three extremely playable super rares, there's incentive to continue to open packs. Yep. And so, and so, it, it's not because not everybody is selling everything they own. It's not always a rising tide. Like, it, it becomes a rising tide raises all ships instead of what the opposite. You think like, oh, well, there's more battle cards out there in circulation because people want more of them. It's like it actually doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um. Because people are just like, well, it's just more effective for me to buy everything. So, and then they keep them. They don't. They don't sell off, sell them off right away. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of demand out there for them. So it's a it's one of those things that if you take a step back, listen to what you had just said and, and earlier, 
and think about the way a lot of this stuff has played out. It logically makes sense as to where the prices for certain things go. I'll admit it's not necessarily something that I would have, it, without seeing it, necessarily thought of. In terms of which? Well, I don't think it's that I would have made the leap, oh, well, the value of specific super rares. I mean, yes, it's logical once somebody says it's like, oh, well, duh, that's exactly how it works. But I don't know know that it's necessarily readily apparent that, oh, well, this is the way the prices for this given set are going to lay out because of these factors. Yeah, the super rares are always the biggest factor. Right. I mean, now, again, it's so obvious in retrospect, but um, one of the things that you had brought up, well, six or seven points ago, I guess now at this point, no. uh, was new sellers versus uh, people actually trying to become a quote-unquote dealer versus people, the the turnover in the game of people buying and selling collections, trying to turn them into other cards or other games or other things. How exactly has that played into all of this? Um, so the main thing you need to understand is that to be an effective seller on one of these secondary um, selling sites where you're not actually running the site yourself, you have to establish like feedback ratings. And so the only way to establish a feedback rating is to have people buy from you and, and successfully say that everything went well. Right. And so and the only way to sell things is usually to be the cheapest because there's you're not selling on your own from a site so until you establish yourself as a credible dealer people are just basically there to to spend the least amount of money as possible and there's nothing wrong with that um on on sites like tcg player you can actually like you can make an order of like 500 dollars worth of singles and be buying from 10 different dealers and you would even know you're buying from 10 different dealers right we each get our orders separately for example so to you, and it might not even matter other than you get 10 different packages being sent to you. Um, so you would see then at that point when you check out who you're buying from, but you might not even know that going in because of the way the system works. So that being said, certain sellers that come in just in order to establish themselves as being and, and getting a feedback rating and so that which affects shipping and all these other things that I don't need to get into. Um, Sometimes you just undercut the market in order to get your, get sell cards and establish a feedback rating. So, um, depending on when new sellers choose to come in, they usually last like a week or two, and then poof, their their inventory is gone. I was about to say that so, goes to your earlier point that I'm assuming the inventory really is the the bottleneck to getting to the next level. Yeah, and I saw a lot of this in December because of Energy Editions. A lot of quote new sellers coming in with like transformers based names and then mm-hmm. getting a feedback getting like you know 25 sales and then i haven't seen them again right so um but you have to know that and you have to battle that and so for anybody looking to get into this game like you just have to be aware that those things exist so um oh god sorry no that's it the easiest thing like as a as a player if you're looking to sell is to sell to a sell to a seller don't sell on your own and i'm not saying that because i buy a lot but it's just just the truth well i mean there is something to be said for that that actually was going to be the next thing i was going to lead into for somebody who's either looking to liquidate things because they want to you know get some some cash to save up for wave five where they just want to turn it into 
paying for travel expenses to go to PPG Orlando or whatever the case may be, your recommendation is find a, a buyer that you would trust, so some a, another dealer, essentially? If you want to sell in bulk, yes. If you want to sell like a few individual high-priced cards, your best de- bet is to like use the Facebook page, the seller's page, and things like that because you don't have to. I'm not saying you have to, you <clears throat> can just be unscrupulous, but I mean like you don't have to establish yourself because you're like I'm just selling these five cards, and when these five cards sell, I have what I need, and then I'm done. Like mm-hmm. there's no feedback loop that occurs. So as long as you can find. You can find five individual buyers. All it does is cost you more in postage. Right. Um, but if you're just looking to sell these five high-priced cards, for example, there's no reason to like establish yourself as a website or, or as a seller on one of these third-party sites or anything like that. So just go to a group like that. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of them out there. And just sell that way. The easiest place is on Facebook or on eBay. And just sell those individual cards. Right. Um, if you're looking to unload large quantities of things the main thing to understand is that like they're heavy believe it or not after a while (laughs) (laughs) well how do i say it like people are looking for specific cards of course and so you will often you will sell those cards and you'll be left with a mountain of crap like there's no other way to put it like so your your option you not everything shoulder sell. holster you can't you can't win them all right <laughs> exactly exactly um so a lot of times what happens is like you'll get an offer for um you'll sell all your other stuff all your other stuff will be left and and like like what do you it's not even worth the price of postage a lot of times yeah so if you want to sell the whole thing at once you won't get quote market value for it but at least you'll be buying from a more reputable buyer and somebody mm-hmm. that's going to be honestly somebody that can afford to give you some percentage of the money you're looking for. Like if I'm out there and I just want to buy, say I just need a place at a piece for charities, right? And I'm willing to pay the market price right now. I think it's like $12 a piece. So like I'm looking to spend $36. I'll come to you and say, you know, I'll buy three piece for charities from you for 35. And you're like, okay, well that's not bad. That's close to market price. So let's just say you had a playset of Wave One. I'm just making this stuff up. Yeah, yeah. So, so now all of a sudden you can't, you can no longer advertise that you have a playset of Wave One because you sold the piece securities, which is obviously one of the key cards that, that of course any buyer would be, would be looking to get from you. Um, and so, if I was to, you know, if you were to buy that collection and not pay like 35 for those cards, like you, you would pay some percentage. Of the market value, uh, if you're missing cards, that that value is that percentage is going to go down even further. Makes sense. So, if if I was willing, you know, if somebody was willing to pay you, and I'm just making these numbers up, like five hundred dollars for your playset, and all of a sudden you sold uh, all your good cards away, and yes, the value, if you look at, like from a from a, if you go on the marketplace and look at how much the cards actually sell for, it may be worth more. But if it's all a bunch of stuff that like adds up because there's a very small percentage of players that actually want to buy the remainder i guess right (laughs) right so like instead of getting you know whatever like 70 percent of value you might only get like 30 percent of value because of what's left is so much harder to move no matter how much that actually goes for makes sense so i guess it just depends on whether or not you're willing to like a be stuck with the stuff and then b you want a certain 
dollar value and what's more important to you is the dollar value than it's like the the price per card if that makes any sense like individual uh, like card prices makes sense so i have bad news scott we didn't what's make that? our 45 minute goal but <laughs> we, hey, we had other stuff to, we, we had other stuff to talk about well there there is other stuff but the, i was going to kick it to you to see if there were any highlights because there were a number of other things on the list. We could obviously go on and on about this particular topic. So anybody out there listening, if you want to hear more about this sort of thing or go into certain end, one end or the other, definitely hit us up and let us know. But uh, Scott, were there any other highlights that you wanted to bring up surrounding this topic? No, I guess the big thing out there, like I said, is like there aren't a lot of people that I see out there like speculating or anything like that. So um, if you are looking to do that at all, I guess like, you're not the problem is you're not going to find a lot of uh, outlet to sell even if the card does skyrocket in value. Like you just be reselling on the same place that you bought them from. So unless you're an established buyer, it's not going to work out too well for you. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I. But I mean, a lot of times, I don't think there's been a single card that like we haven't talked about that has done well other than shoulder holster. <laughs> um. All the cards that we've played or have have talked about at length before a set came out have have wound up being the ones that are that are are the best um mm. well that's part of the it, reason why we were excited about them <laughs> right um it, it honestly it's real it's tournament sustainability is what's most important um and you will find that uh i, I there are some obviously outside the game factors like when a card gets banned, it plummets in value, for example. <laughs> you um, don't say. <laughs> that one I could have predicted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, press the advantage used to be worth a lot more than it is now. Um, swap parts used to be worth a lot more than it is now. Um, Multi-mission gear is uncommon, so that's a different story. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the big thing is you just need, you need to expect that other than super rares and... Uh, I, I guess one big thing that players don't understand is like rares are really aren't worth. Um, yeah, the introduction of the super rare rarity. I mean, it's always been here for this game, but it was introduced in other games, kind of definitely threw a wrench in things. Yeah, like a good character that's rare might only be worth like five or six dollars. Like it's not surprising, right? Um, whereas a super rare is literally worth a hundred dollars. Yeah, there's um, kind of a huge disparity. Yeah, it's just the supply and demand that's out there in in the marketplace. Um, and like I said, the general population of players, even tournament players, don't buy cases upon cases of product. So they typically will buy as many boxes as they feel will get them a playset of battle cards and all the rare characters they want. They'll treat the super rares they open as as great, I don't have to buy them in the secondary market, and then they just buy everything else in the secondary market. Right. Um, so that's typically what happens. Um, so yeah, the big thing to keep in mind is like your non-staple battle cards and your rare characters, even if they are C flight, they're just not worth as much as you think they were. Like, and they're clearly not worth like quote the price of a pack. Um, so I think people just might overstate in general what they yield our cards are worth um i mean that's and, and always true to some extent regardless yeah yeah if you want to just look at it from a price guide perspective use some of these sites as like a price guide um i think people just become shocked as to like 
that stuff just isn't worth as much as they thought it was. And like I said, the reason is simply because there's just so much of them out there. Yeah. Um, compared to the super rares like that it, it really gets driven by that are you saying people weren't playing iron man transformers and that's why we have more cards yes yeah <laughs> deep cuts uh probably yeah. nobody gets that one <laughs> yeah uh but anyway that's a a anecdote for another day um mm-hmm. anything else you want to touch on scott before we close up shop for this particular episode no there's not a lot of like secret sauce to it so like like everything else, consistency key. is important. Yeah, I mean, like you know, if you want to get into this, I'm sure we can. You know, people that want to get into this, I have much. We can have much longer conversations about it. But like, of course, from a player perspective, the the main thing is like, just always know that like you're always going to be able to find buyers for your stuff. It just depends <laughs> on how long and how like what you're what you're willing to. There isn't a lot of trading I see that goes on in this game, so it's just easier. That's to buy definitely film, so. something. Yeah, that's a probably another topic to dive into another day. But that is something that I've noticed. I've I've definitely come to events with a binder or box or both, and uh, there's just zero interest in that, which is interesting. I think I think gaming in general has gone that way. Like Magic still does it because of the vast number of cards that are out there and the vast number mm-hmm. of like special versions of cards that are out there but like it's just easy like if everyone's gonna say like here's my ten dollars worth of cards and here's your ten dollars worth of cards it's literally just easier to sell my ten dollars <laughs> worth of cards for a ten dollar bill and go buy that other $10 yeah i'd rather trade cards, it for so. green paper <laughs> right it's just easier yeah. so like there's no point in even like doing that makes sense um so yeah and anyway. i think that's definitely the case here and you and I are coming at this from a different perspective. Like even before I was selling, and like I know you know you don't like we still buy a lot of boxes of yeah, sets. So absolutely. Like, like it's hard for us to even imagine what it's like for somebody that doesn't buy that quantity. Like I still buy a case of each set just to play with, quote unquote. Um, obviously, I I make sure I have a full place out of everything before I start selling like my extra super rares. Of course. Um, but like you, I know you buy a case of every set. So like yep. we're a little unique in that perspective anyway. So absolutely. It's our, we don't look at it necessarily from the perspective of like, Oh, I'm just going to buy a box of each set and then move on with life. Yeah. So. It's definitely a different outlook. And I have been in that latter position in other games and it definitely makes life. It, it like, I mean, this is a more general economics thing, but there's, there's definitely something to be said when you you end up paying more in the long run because you are putting yourself at a disadvantage by not having access to certain things or you're at the mercy of then the market fluctuations of, oh, yeah, well, I'll wait to go pick that up as a single. And then it turns out, oh, yeah, it spiked because it did well last weekend. Oops. Um, getting it in this fashion is is much more stable. Yeah, and I got into this habit as a player because I hated needing a rare or I hated needing an uncommon or a common. Absolutely. So I needed I needed to make sure I had full playsets of all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. like I just was just like, yeah, I know I'm not gonna have a full playset of the super rares. And in this game where like you really only need one of each, it mm-hmm. was fine. I would just go out and spend the extra money if I didn't get it. And I always would never get the most expensive card at the set, like mm. without fail every single time. <laughs> That's so, usually how it works. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's it, it just, it's just easier to, you know, I, I would recommend for everyone to go down that route. 
and, and buy like a case of each set. That's one thing I can put out there. Definitely makes sense. Well, I think that'll do it for this episode, folks. Uh, if you, As I said earlier, if you'd like to hear more about this, definitely hit us up. Or if there are other, I guess, non-strategy topics, this is going to be sort of a mini-series because our next recording, or maybe the one before this, depending on how we release them, is going to be another after. one talking about... Oh, after. All right. I'm being told it's after. Yeah. Coming in coming yeah. in on the mic um, or on the headset that uh, we're doing a couple episodes that are strategy adjacent, I guess. Yep. Um, so as always, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for watching and please tune in next time for more tech talk.